Well, good evening, everybody. We're going to start up here. Um, figure we can keep eating while, while folks talk, including Sean, who I'll introduce in a second. Uh, but I wanted to start, uh, and, and you don't have to turn to this if you don't want to, but I think there's some BCPs on, uh, on some of the tables. So I'm going to start with a psalm that we read this morning. I read this psalm. Well, first I read the wrong psalm uh, this morning, and then there's Grace. Uh, and so I read this psalm, and, and it really struck out to me as something I wanted to, um, to just open us up with tonight. So Psalm 16, you can either read along or, or listen. Uh, but this was the psalm for this morning's worship. It says, Protect me, O God, for I take refuge in you. I have said to the Lord, you are my Lord, my good above all over other. All my delight is upon the godly that are in the land, upon those who are noble among the people. But those who run after other gods shall have their troubles multiplied. Their libations of blood I will not offer, nor take the names of their gods upon my lips. O Lord, you are my portion and my cup. It is you who uphold my lot. My boundaries enclose a pleasant land. Indeed, I have a goodly heritage. I will bless the Lord who gives me counsel. My heart teaches me night after night. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand and I shall not fall. My heart therefore is glad and my spirit rejoices. My body also shall rest in hope. For you will not abandon me to the grave nor let your Holy One see the pit. You will show me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy and in your right hand are pleasures forevermore. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, so this is Christ Church Waco, and this is our arts ministry. So let me just give you a little bit, and please keep eating, drinking, feasting, merrymaking. Uh, so, so here's what we've been doing. Uh, I kind of showed up, and there was some art stuff that definitely happened before me, I know, with uh, the Stations of the Cross. Alan, when was that? Do you remember what year that was? Uh, that was the last year that we were at Dr. Pepper. Okay, so two, three years ago, yeah. everybody was invited to sort of do their own Stations of the Cross, like artists and, and folks who felt called to Did that. Did anybody hear part of that or see it? Yeah. All right. It was, it was an amazing experience yeah to be a part of but also to, to witness it was it was something yeah so i know there was that um and i know that uh one of our actually uh one of our parishioners who, who died last year ann cogdell um every everybody who talks about ann talks about her love of hospitality but also beauty so by no means you know i just kind of showed up and there were some seeds of this happening uh, and, and I asked Father Lee, you know, hey, can I just, there's five, there's five priests now with me. Uh, <laughs> and all those other guys are like PhDs in theology stuff. Uh, so can I just hang out with artists and do arts ministry? And he was like, yeah, go do that. That'd be awesome. Uh, and in his most fatherly way, I kept waiting for him to tell me what I should do. And he never did. So uh, now we're, we're doing stuff. So what we've been doing a lot of is film screenings. Uh, I studied film in undergrad. I'm studying film now. I did theology and film. It's, it's easy for me to do film. It's also, I think, the easiest art for most people to engage with because everybody watches movies and TV. Um, so we've been doing those about once a month. We actually did a series in Lent where we did one every week, uh, basically two a week because we did the Decalogue screenings uh, by Krzysztof Kozlowski, but they're an hour each. So kind of one movie a week as we move towards Lent. Uh, then when we got in this building, we watched Terrence Malick's Tree of Life because, yeah. Uh, and then, uh, then we've had some fun. We watched Nacho Libre. Uh, then we did a screening for our kids, uh, Secret of Kells. And then we uh, just did a screening of Signs uh, just a few weeks ago. And then we have a screening of Lady Bird, Greta Gerwig's film, uh, maybe the best film of last year. Uh, that We're going to be doing that a week from Friday on Baylor's campus. So that's what we've been doing. So... I, and that's been going great. We had like 45 people at the sign screening and it was like such a great discussion. But I realized uh, not long ago, we're doing a great job of engaging. Uh, I don't want to connect to the iTunes story. Okay. Uh, we're doing a great job of sort of engaging um, our parishioners with the arts, which I think is great. I think like everybody should engage with the arts. 
Uh, and beauty and goodness and truth, you know, truth and goodness made manifest is beauty, right? And so engaging with the arts is great. But I realize we have these artists and some of them in our, our parish and some of them not. Uh, but it seems like Waco is sort of becoming this place, which who'd have thunk it, I guess, that artists are sort of gravitating to. And, and so I realized, you know, it's great to use art uh, to talk with people about theology and, and to help people see beauty in everyday life. But there's also artists uh, who I feel like need each other. Um, and so this line in the psalm that really stuck out to me, verse 6 my boundaries enclose a pleasant land. Indeed, I have a goodly heritage. My translation, I always think of, you know, the boundary lines have fallen for me in good places. And for me, that's like the best, that's like something that helps me as an artist. When I think about being creative, sometimes people are like, just go make a movie about anything. And that's the worst thing you could ever tell me. Write a song about something, paint a picture about something. No, 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 no. Please tell me like what to do and then I will be creative around that. Uh, so when I think of that, I think, you know, the boundary lines have fallen for me in a good place. Even the edge of the frame, right? Uh, or the, the amount of time you know you can have people actually sit through a musical performance. All these things are boundary lines, and it's like within that, because we cannot create out of nothing. We're not, we're not able to do that. It's we're the people who, like, when you give us the blank page, that's when we get creative. Uh, but then there's this sense that, like, the boundary lines have fallen for all of us, here, right? So regardless of if you go to Christ Church or not, you call Waco, Texas, or some surrounding uh, municipality home. And, and as an artist, that might feel weird for you uh, because it's not New York or even Austin or uh, any of those places. And so I know that sometimes that can feel like a struggle. I mean, I've felt that. I, I know I've talked to Sean about that. I've heard other kind of talk about that. That, but to see that, like, okay, the boundary lines have fallen, so we're here. We're stuck here for now, <laughs> unless you want to leave. Uh, but you're here right now, right? And so I think the worst thing that we can do is, is rebel against being here. Um, and so if we're going to be here, there are people here with us. And so, I mean, as you look around, I see people here. The boundary lines have fallen for you here. Um, and so what I want this to be is, is a space for us to hear from each other, uh, a space for us to talk with one another, and, and to just uh, have that community. Because I feel like so much uh, of the modern or current art world, whatever it is, whatever creative endeavor, um, the people that you know who are doing what you do aren't your community, they're your competition. And... That's just a really terrible thing that has happened, uh, I think. And I think it's probably always been a little bit like that. But, you know, you think about some of the great art that comes out, you know, about the Impressionists all hanging out together or Lewis and Tolkien and the Inklings drinking together. I think of, uh, you know, uh, Lucas and Spielberg and Scorsese and Coppola and all these guys who are just watching each other's movies. And uh, that's always been my ideal. Uh, that's always been something I've longed for. And, and it's something I've brushed up against a time or two in my life. And the art I've made, the things I've made in those time periods have been so much better than anything I kind of go try to will myself to make. So uh, I want this to be a community. I want, uh, and I want you to feel like if you're part of Christ Church or if you're not, I don't care. Like if you're here, if you would say the boundary lines have fallen for you here, uh, I want you to feel like... Uh, Feel like this is a place you can come and participate in and so we'll, we'll talk some uh, we can take a pulse about how often we want to do this um, we can try to figure out you know do we do because Sean's gonna give a talk and I want to do that some because we've got a lot of we've got a lot of great resources um, but you know do we do a talk you know every other month and then just hang out every other month? there's lots of freedom right to figure out I know, again, I just said artists crave boundaries, so maybe I should just say, here's the structure. But, <laughs> but uh, anyways, I just want this to be a life-giving place, and I want this to be a space for people who identify as artists, um, where they can come, not because we're super special flower star people who, you know, everyone should look up to, probably because we might be the most messed up and vulnerable <laughs> uh, that we really need each other. So... 
we can talk some afterwards. I hope there's time for discussion. Um, but now I want to introduce Sean, and Sean's going to give a talk. I don't know what Sean's talking on. I did. I gave him no boundaries. Uh, so we'll see. Uh, and so Sean, yeah, you can come on up. Sean is a visual artist. Sean has been in Waco about a year and a half, right? Uh, uh, Sean's wife, Hillary, is also wonderfully creative, and she works at Magnolia. Uh, and then their baby, Beatrice, is uh, the most creative every day. She comes up with new ways of being human and <laughs> figures it out. So Sean uh, is a, starting tomorrow, a professor at uh, McLennan County, County or Community? MCC. There you go. Uh, and he's going to be an adjunct professor there. He also uh, painted the altarpiece uh, upstairs. We might have a chance to go look at that. Uh, but Sean is, uh, he's thought a lot about whatever he's going to talk about. And I think it's going to be good for us to hear it. So, Sean. Thank you, sir. Um, I'm just going to set a timer because I have a tendency to talk for a really long time. Um, well, if that's the boundary, you need to set <laughs> So, Hillary did advise me to cut out all the nudes that I had in here. She was like, I don't think anybody wants to have a, a man's penis right in their faces at this thing. So I took that out, so just to let you know. Um, I did set the boundary there. Uh, this is my name. My name's Sean Oswald. Um, I created the altarpiece. What I'd like to talk, talk about is I'm gonna give a little bit of my story, well, the story of the last seven years and sort of what led me to create the altarpiece. And I really do think it has been a journey uh, because I, I don't think that I would have been able to create an altarpiece, definitely not two years ago, definitely not three years, five years ago. Um, I, I believe that I needed to be worked on in some significant ways to get, to get there, intellectually, in a, in a heart space, uh, skill-wise. Um, so, I just wrote a few things, but I went to Miami University, which is a small, it's in a small college town in Ohio. It's uh, about 45 minutes north of Cincinnati. I studied, I went there for art, for fine art, painting and drawing. <clears throat> Got involved in a ministry, Campus Crusade for Christ, and was quite convinced by my junior year that I needed to go into ministry. I had a, and some of you have heard this story, but. I had a, a mentor who was really, uh, I don't want to say pressuring, but he was encouraging me to uh, go into ministry. So I, I switched into art ed in that junior year, which, which I think was a good thing, and uh, also studied sociology. Um, within a year, I found myself in counseling, trying to figure out what went wrong. Um, <laughs> the next piece symbolizes a return to making after about a four-year hiatus. So um, at the time I made this, I was teaching art. So after I got out of school, I started teaching at a, at a small high school called Talawanda High School. I taught painting and drawing and then ceramics. And I created this piece. Hillary and I had actually just gotten married and it was the summer. And I remember we were going to this comedy show and I had this idea. And I was like, honey, I have this weird idea, blah, blah, blah. You know, we were going to this somewhat liturgical church that was super, it was, it was more emo than it was liturgical, I think. <laughs> uh, we, we kind of, you know, we played rock music, but then we confessed things, and it, it was cool. It seemed cool at the time. It's not really that cool. <laughs> but um, so I created this piece called The Nation of Israel, and it took me the entire summer. So it, the process was it started with a number of drawings, and um, these theological ideas, and I, I tried to put them into somewhat, some sort of an icon. Uh, this work is about the nation of Israel and what that may be, hopefully posing questions and answers. The structure stands surrealistically on a map of Jerusalem. The head is a portrait of David, the imperfect Christ figure, who is acting king of Israel. The crown on his head resembles ancient Jerusalem, alluding to our future home and glory. The beard protrudes from his face, tumbling down as if a mountain and within that mountain of beard, there resides a foxhole and nests for birds, for even foxes have dens and birds have nests, but not even the Son of Man has a place to rest his head. 
When the beard comes to an end, it becomes a tent, reminiscent of the nation's impermanent tent culture and its pastoral roots symbolized by the shepherds, canes as tent poles. The sheep graze in the beard in threes. The number of the trinity is God's people, but the goats reside under the tent, symbolic of being grafted into the vine. This artwork seeks to examine the idea of who God's people are and the mysterious nature of the nation of Israel, taking the point of view that it is, at the same time, a historical place, spiritual reality, and a future hope for all of God's people. Um, so this was this thing was kind of just in me at, at this time, and it, and it needed to be excavated this summer, the summer of 2011. We just got married, and I made this piece. And then I started teaching again. Shortly after I started teaching again, I got invited um, to this place. This is weird, uh, but sorry, am I making sense? I feel like I'm going all over the place. Okay, so at this point, um, how did this happen? I started getting really interested in atelier education. Is anyone familiar with atelier education and its resurgence in America? The, okay, so. There's this resurgence in American education, which is, uh, they're kind of like, not anti the university, but they are adopting some of the ideas of the French Academy and, and like the Russian Academy and some of the, the European academies of the 19th century and earlier, where you study for four years, it's about $6,000 to do it, you study under a master artist, and then you, essentially you draw, you draw from one model for about 16 weeks, one drawing, and you do it 40 hours a week. And it's an incredibly intensive, interesting process, and I was fascinated by this. And one of the friends I went to undergrad with, who was also a believer, she was going to one of these. And so I went to New York, there was one in New York that I liked, and then one in Seattle. So we went to New York, we went to Seattle, uh, right when I started teaching again in 2011, and I went and met the heads of these schools and I thought, maybe we could do this. Came back, prayed about it, and it did not seem right. Um, this person uh, who owns this, Garen Baker, this is one of his paintings. He reaches out to me about this time and he said, hey, Sean, listen. But he's more like this, he's like, Sean, listen, hey. You know, he, he's, a, he's a Russian uh, Jewish immigrant from Brooklyn. Old school, salty as can be. I love this guy. But he calls me up because I, I had met him. It's a long story. And he's like, come to my house. You and your wife, you live in my attic, okay? I got a, I got a nice attic. You come, you come, you live with me, and uh, I'll teach you how to paint. I'm like, okay. Uh, he's like, I'll make it real cheap for you. So, um, so Garen, we, we go, and Hiller and I, we pack up our stuff the next summer, summer 2012, and we drive to, drive upstate New York where he has his carriage house that he has renovated. And... Um, Basically, he teaches me to paint. So Garen had gone to Pratt, and when he got out of Pratt, he was, oh, another fun fact about Garen. So does anyone see the movie Eraserhead? I told some of the people in my, he, when he was 16 years old, his father, his father worked with David Lynch in the city, and uh, he said, hey, Garen, you know how to draw. Why don't you draw, why don't you freeze frame this image from this movie I'm working on and uh, draw it up. It's, it's now the cover of the Eraserhead, the iconic image. He, he did that as this little kid, and this is, he's an enigma, this guy, Garen. Um, never met anyone like him. And since that time at Pratt, he's, he's been making his living as an artist, but not as a fine artist, but he's not, he's not famous, he's not in a ton of galleries, he just sells, he sells his work, he paints all the time, he doesn't work for anyone, and he's been doing it for 30 years. And he has a lot of money, and he has a family, and I was like, this is possible? It's like, I've never heard of this option. My guidance counselor didn't tell me about this. Um, and so Garen, we get there, and Garen smoked cigarettes, and he, he would watch, uh, you know, um, he would watch, what do you call that, Hillary? What do you call that? C-SPAN. He would watch C-SPAN religiously, and he would cuss, and he would... <laughs> He would listen to it. We would have to listen to it as he looked out at, we'd sit in his car and we'd look at landscapes and he would smoke and he would talk about C-SPAN. But anyway, so we paint a still life in the morning, uh, a landscape in the afternoon, and then a figure at night. In, in his carriage house, he would bring these models to his house and all these illustrators, artists, one of, some guy who works for Jeff Koontz in New York would come up 
and we would all just paint from the model. And we did this every day for the summer, basically. And he used to have this saying, he'd say, there was an old butcher, and uh, this butcher wanted to, he had a son who wanted to learn how to paint and all this stuff. And his whole point was, you have to fill an entire butcher roll of paper before you're even able, with drawings and paintings, before you're able to know anything about drawing and painting. Anyway, it's just a thing about Garen. So his whole thing was, you gotta paint, and you gotta paint, and you gotta paint. We paint all day, we go down to the city, and we would go to the Art Students League, and uh, we would work from the model at night, and uh, it was just this crazy experience. And it changed my life. We'd drive to Pennsylvania, we would meet with collectors who he was doing a portrait for, or we'd, we'd be on phone call with this person in Denmark who he had a public mural for. He just had this very interesting life. And he would say, you always need to paint from life every day. So just a, one thing about context, uh, within my, both in my grad work and in my undergrad work, it was not very cool to want to paint in this manner. It wasn't very cool to want to paint observationally. It wasn't very cool to want to paint in a realistic manner. It just, it just wasn't cool. And so I felt a little bit like a niche person. And so meeting this guy, Garen, was, was very helpful to my, to my soul. Um, and he taught a la prima painting. And a la prima painting, this is an example of it by John Singer Sargent, which basically means wet and wet. It means that the paintings are generally completed from life in one sitting while the paint is still wet. Uh, forms are painted sculpturally. Uh, placed, paint is placed directly with the correct perceived tone and value. And it's usually traditional subjects like portraits, nudes, florals, still life, landscape, and um, the tradition of the, the masters in the Hudson River Valley. Um, anyway, this is another guy. This is, I think this painting hangs in Cincinnati, but this is Joaquim Soroya, which is a Spanish painter, or who is a Spanish painter that Garen really looked up to. And this is what he was trying to teach me to do. And so we paint. So this is weird. So we paint. And I would be sitting there, and Garen would come over, and Max, here's the guy who taught him, he would come over with a red paint on his brush, and he would go right on my canvas, he'd go, no, 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 no. He'd be like, there's no truth in your canvas. You see? What do you see? I'd be like, I don't know. He's like, that's the wrong tone, Sean. I'd be like, I'm sorry. But my, my university work was totally different. It was like, ah, it's whatever you see. Everything is so subjective, which is fine. I'm, I'm not... I think subjectivity is helpful for art, but this, I like this. Um, so these are some of my first paintings, you know, not, not too great, but um, some of my first paintings with Garen. I was relearning how to think. I was, I was thinking of painting in a very different way. And I have stacks and stacks of paintings from that year. These are definitely not any of the nicest of them. Um, this is one of the nicer ones from the summer. This painting was an all prima painting of a farmer. We went and and he was sitting there with his horse. I didn't have the skills to do both, so I focused on him. Um, but you can kind of see the chunkiness of paint and such. Okay, so we come back from that summer and uh, a number of things happened, but we decide that we're gonna move to Cincinnati because we want to be closer to Hillary's family. And uh, I'm gonna go get an MFA. Hillary got this really cool job. I'm gonna go, I'm gonna leave my teaching job. I'm gonna get an MFA and uh, this is like kind of how I started painting. I was still painting observationally. These are some of the other sorts of paintings that I was doing. Um, working in an observational way, but pushing the paint in, in ways, you know, I was reading a lot of interesting things. It was, it was an exciting time. Towards the end of my, uh, maybe towards the end of my first year, I really, I started to articulate this idea called the post-ironic humble sublime. And, uh, it was based on, Hillary and I went to go see Sufjan's uh, Age of Ads. Uh, do you see it? Anybody else see that album? So we saw it in Indiana. It was in this really beautiful old theater. And, you know, he's so eccentric. And he comes out looking somewhat like that, except he had a, he had a keyboard. And he was playing it. And he was wearing, you know, a, a silver jumpsuit. And there were these dancers around him dancing, you know. And, he, and it's all angelic. And anyway, I was into it. And I thought that somehow it related to the work that I was doing. So I tried to articulate what this work was about. And the anti-rebels, this, this quote from David Foster Wallace, I think was something that I liked. I'll just read it. 
The next real literary rebels in this country might well emerge as some weird bunch of anti-rebels, born oglers who dare somehow to back away from ironic watching, who have the childish gall actually to endorse and insatiate single entendre principles, who treat of plain old untrendy human troubles and emotions in US life with reverence and conviction, who eschew self-consciousness and hip fatigue, these anti-rebels would be outdated, of course, before they even started, dead on the page, too sincere, clearly repressed, backward, quaint, naive, anachronistic. Maybe that'll be the point. Maybe that's why they'll be the next real rebels, because rebels, as far as I can see, risk disapproval. The old postmodern insurgents risk the gasp and squeal, shock, disgust, outrage, censorship, accusations of socialism, anarchism, nihilism, Today risks, today's risks are different. The new rebels might be artists willing to risk the yawn, the rolled eyes, the cool smile, the nudged ribs, the parody of gifted ironists, the oh how banal, uh, to risk accusations of sentimentality, melodrama, of overcredulity, of softness, of willingness to be suckered by a world of lurkers and stargazers who fear gaze and ridicule above imprisonment without law. Who knows? Uh, this, this idea was, was exciting to me, this like, I just want to paint like sincere paintings of people, you know, sitting there. I like, I just like portraits, you know. I'm into, I'm into religious paintings, you know. I'm, so <laughs> that that led me to. This is about a year later, so I keep trying to paint in my program, which you'd think in a in an artist in an art program you'd be allowed to paint, but the first class it was like my professor comes in, he's like. You can't paint. This is crap, you know. And he's like, he's like, you need to make Instagram art. And I was like, what? He's like, he's like, yeah, you need to become a Bob Ross personality and like all this stuff. And your whole life is a performance. And I'm like, dude, I'm like already going crazy just from thinking about that. And uh, anyway, so I try to meld this idea with this anti-rebel, and I come up with my thesis show. This is one of the pieces. I'll show you all the all the pieces. But it's, uh, it was called How I Learned to, How I Learned to Be, a, How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Be a Christian Artist. And so I was like, tr I was trying to adopt the language of Thomas Kincaid and uh, put it around my art. That sounds really bad probably, but I was like, how do I embrace the kitschiness of evangelical art roots and just like run with it? I'm just like, this is gonna be cool. And, uh, but, you know, I was in grad school, so I was a little bit cynical. And so my work looked like this. But I made a series of paintings all based on religious paintings from Europe. This is the Peaceful Kingdom. This is Abraham and Isaac, uh, Abe and Isaac off of Caravaggio's Abraham and Isaac. This painting is about five feet by eight feet or something like that. Um, this is another version of it. It's on paper uh, and neon crayons and things in a, you know, the, the scene, they take place in domestic scenes, kind of these crazed figures and, um, you know, you see a swing set in the background. This is Jacob Wrestling. It's based off of uh, two paintings, one by Gauguin and one by Delacroix, uh, Jacob Wrestling the Angel. Uh, the Adoration of the Name uh, from The Adoration of the Name of Jesus by El Greco where these sort of, you know, ambivalent figures, pagan figures is what I call them, are touching the tongue of the beast. And you see an American eagle flying with this angel. It, I don't know. Um, this is the Bacchus, which was based roughly on a Caravaggio um, and some fraternity stories from my college days. <laughs> but I wanted to hang, I hung these without stretching them and hung them in a, I wanted them to reference uh, Harry Potter flags, like house flags, you know? So they would, so, you know, like uh, Gryffindor or whatever. And so this was the boar's head. And then this was kind of the piece that, that located everything. It was called the unzipping of Marcius, based on Titian's The Flang of Marcius, a 16th century painting of uh, this, where they're filleting this goat man from crotch to throat um, in the middle of the woods. And it's this complicated scene about the triumph of Christianity over paganism in the West. 
And so I was wrestling with these ideas, and so I decided I would have these color-coded boys um, in their underwear unzipping, um, unzipping their friend from his pink pajamas uh, in, the, in the living room with this conglomerate figure who maybe signifies Ninja Turtles and Chewbacca and like pop culture pastiche, you know, like all this stuff put together. And then for me, all of the squares in my pieces were supposed to be references to screens, whether they were, you know, so, so this, so windows and screens, windows and screens, um, portals and liminal space. Liminal space was a huge thing at the time. So anyway, I get out of school and, you know, I'm like, I guess I should go try to teach now. And, uh, but we, we took a trip to, am I, I'm sorry, am I like going too long? I, I'm no, starting to feel self-conscious. Okay, thank you. We took a trip to Europe right after this and we went to Venice, to the Venice Biennale. Is everyone familiar with the Venice Biennale? This huge art show that is like international, it's just, could somebody else describe it better? Um, goal. Yeah, it's like, yeah, it's like hashtag goals. Hashtag goals. <laughs> right. Every artist wants to be in the Biennale. That's like the big thing. So we went to the Biennale, and we also went to Nuremberg. So we we're, were in Italy, we traveled Italy, we went to Germany because Hillary's mom, her cousin was getting married, and so we were in Nuremberg. And my Biennale experience, the experience I thought was gonna be really cool and very like culminating somehow of this MFA goal that I had was really sad. And I felt, I just felt really sad. The only tent I enjoyed, because it has, you know, it has like France, USA, it has, has a pavilion for every country and it has their great art in every one of these pavilions. And the only one I really got into was Romania because there was somebody in there just making objects with their hands. There was this painter and I was like, that's cool, you're making things. In the French one, it was cool, but it was like trees that were just moving around. And Canada was this, it was a heroin house. It was like a trompe l'oeil. You walked in and you thought you were in like this drug house. And I remember at that time, when I would go into galleries, I would feel this heavy, oppressive feeling. And I believe that it was my spirit was feeling oppressed, like in a spiritual sense. But anyway, so we do that. And I'm like, oh man, that was a bummer. Well, and then you walk out and you go into a church and you're like, oh, I know this painting. Oh, I know that painting. Oh my gosh, Titian did this church. And you walk in the next one, you're like, oh, Tinaretto did this church. Like did everything in the church. You know, carved everything, painted everything, did the ceilings, did the altarpiece. I was like, that's kind of, it got the wheels turning. We go to the home of Albrecht Dürer and that starts getting the wheels turning. It's like this business that he has. You know, his home is a studio. His wife like manages the books, you know, there's all these stories of kings coming to his home and sitting for portraits. I'm like, that sounds pretty cool. You know, like that, that sounds like a cool idea. And this is one of his um, things. So I come home, get a residency at the Vermont Studio Center, which is this studio residency where you go and all these poets and stuff and you're hanging out and drawing and stuff. And so, so <laughs> this is gonna sound really weird, but there are all these like really cool artists, you know, people coming up from New York and from LA and you know, from Europe and I'm in this big room and it used to belong to this painter who I liked and uh, doing these drawings and I start, one night I, I, I called Hillary and I'm like, honey, I feel so sad, you know? She's like, well, just go read, you know, that'll make you feel better. And so I went to the library and I started pouring, pulling open books by Masaccio, Caravaggio, Frangelico, Giotto, all the Italian artists who I really liked, you know? And I'm like, you know what I'm gonna do? I really liked Gospel According to St. Matthew, the film uh, Pasolini, right? Pasolini's film where he like reads the Gospels and then he goes out and kind of intuitively like shoots, right? It's like, sort of like from the hip. So I'm like, I'm gonna do this with the book of Luke. So I get a big roll of paper, I put these papers up on the wall, <laughs> read a passage from the scripture, and I just start drawing. And I just draw whatever scene it is. I, I read a part and I draw for like 12 hours or and then I just go to bed, wake up the next day, draw the whole day. 
and I don't open the room. You know, there are these like students coming by, they're like, hey, what are you working on, man? I'm like, oh, nothing, you know, I'm like, I'm feeling very self-conscious because that's what I'm making. Um, so the first one right here is the enunciation. I do this enunciation piece. These are all about, you know, I think they're five by seven. Um, I do this, uh, you know, the birth of Christ and this calming of the storm and the one before it, which is the baptism of Christ. And I'm like, man, these are so illustrative, so kitschy, so Hallmark card. And, but they're like, what's coming out of my heart, you know? And I'm like, oh gosh, what does that say about me? And, uh, and I'm going into other rooms and seeing all these cool pieces. I'm like, man, this person is really cool. Um, anyway, so what happened? I forget. Oh, probably like some of the biggest insults you could ever hear as a painter is your work is, it's illustrative, right? Or your work is like narrative or um, it's, uh, what's another one? Oh, it's decorative. If your work's any of those things. And I'm like, oh, well, I guess my work is all the bad stuff, you know? And so um, the last day of the residency, we all go as a group from room to room, all the studios, and nobody's seen my studio yet. And this was in 2015. And uh, the first one, there's this guy, he's wearing a gold leotard, and he's dancing, and he's wearing a Trump mask, and he's just saying all these racial slurs. And we're all, this is typical, you know, like MFA program type stuff. And everyone's like, oh, brilliant, brilliant. This is just the best. I'm like, this sucks, you know, this is, I hate this. If this is what's good, I, I guess I'm not, you know. And so I am dreading this moment when we go into my room. We walk in, dead silence. I mean, nobody says anything. And there are like 40 people in my studio. And we're just walking around, I, and I'm like praying, I'm like, God, I don't know what I'm doing here. I'm definitely not getting invited back after this. And the, one of the heads of the program, he, he turns to me, he's like, so what, you just illustrated the Bible, huh? And I was like, yep. And <laughs> 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 just like walked out. And one, one gal, she, she came to me later and she's like, I really liked your drawings. And I was like, thank you. But really, other than that, that was, that was kind of it. I, I wasn't really sitting with the cool kids anymore at the dinner table. Um, and I was, thankful to leave. So anyway, I come home and I decide I'm going to, I'm going to work traditionally again, traditional subject matter. So I spend about a year just painting florals. And uh, all my florals, I just let them be juicy with whatever. I, I let them be too emotional, too whatever. Um, and I was engaging with Dutch still life painting, uh, sim symbolism, allegory, narrative, objectivity, observation. Those are the things that I was interested in. Symbolism is another thing that's not very cool. Um, and I'm like, candles, flowers, you know, pretty flowers. I'm gonna use the word pretty. I'm gonna use the word beautiful. I'm just gonna do like all the stuff that I shouldn't do. And part of it was that I heard this, uh, I heard, I had a friend who, she did, she did something at the Whitney, and it was when, um, who's the filmmaker who's really cool, Ty? Uh, no, um, art house filmmaker, did Basquiat, I think. Julian Schnabel. Julian Schnabel. There's a story of Schnabel when he was there, and all these New York artists are coming in, de Koenig, all these like, people who he loves, and they're critiquing his work, and they're, they're saying, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. And Schnabel, he's like, That's, all these things are the things that are me. And so he just decides to throw it all away and focus on those things. And, you know, he's one of the greatest artists of our time. Anyway, so also about this time, I go to this entrepreneurship conference, and then I get um, approached by this, by this person, this uh, family that we know, and she's like, I want to pay, I want to pay you some money so that somebody can give you business coaching lessons. And I was like, okay, like, I definitely need that. Um, and so she paid for me to get coaching from this, uh, this woman from Canada who consults with artists and helps them to learn how to make a living from their art as entrepreneurs. 
and it was really hard for me to listen to this person, but I just did it. Through that, uh, and through the going to church every week and just being hit with the, with the word, I, I would just leave there almost crying. Hillary, you can attest to this. Was I fun to be with at this time? There were a few times. <laughs> <laughs> and Hillary is a good German, and she is very direct, and she helps, helps me uh, to like see things <laughs> clearly sometimes. And she goes, honey, forget all the crap. She's like, I just want you to paint from life, and I want you to learn how to, how to make us money from your stuff. And I was like, okay, fine. <laughs> and so through that, I started developing this course, a 16-week coursework with apprentices. And people started, there was like a lawyer, there was a, 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 a surgeon, young people, just a whole bunch of people started approaching me, this guy from Russia, and he's like, I love your art, I just wanna study with you. So I developed this, at the time I was also building um, these like Shrek malls, that Shrek like Santa things that were going in malls in, uh, in like Dubai and things. It was a really weird job. And I was teaching and I was doing all this stuff, but this is how I was actually starting to make money. I was selling paintings, which is so weird and um, had students who were paying me a salary, essentially. And uh, here's us out, this is what we would do. We'd, you know, we'd go look at landscapes and, and paint, and uh, <laughs> it, was, it was just really fun. And it was, I was praying every day, like, God, give me a professor job, like, help me to provide for my family. You know, why did I do all this stuff? And there's my timer, so I'm gonna wrap it up soon. Um, and so, but this is what was happening. And so it was literally like some days I would wake up and be like, I don't know how we're gonna pay this bill. But by the end of the day, somebody would be like, hey, I wanna buy a painting. It was, it was a really weird time. Um, and these verses, this is one of the verses that stuck with me and became a confession on the wall of my studio. Every time I went to the studio, I'd say this. Do you see a man skillful in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not be, stand before obscure men. Um, and so I would, I would just say that, and I would be like, I will not always labor in obscurity. I will not always be just in this studio, in this sort of like punk rocky area part of town where I'm in this cold, it was, it was always in the 30s because it was February and I was in this little room and I felt so sad and I'd be like, I'm laboring in obscurity, but I will not always labor in obscurity. And I decided that I would continue my practice and discipline that Garen taught me. Paint from life. Put your stuff out there. Trust, you know, just like do it. And so I started again, I would paint from life daily, but I would also draw from the model and the figure uh, daily. And so I started getting back into it, and these are just a few select paintings from the time. These are like, actually these are demos from with my students, some of them. But just, I would just paint. And these are, these are more recent, but I focused on three things. I focused on still life, landscape, and portraiture. And, and well, five, and the nude, uh, or the model. The boundaries. I had to have boundaries because I was, I just had to have like, these are the things that I do and I teach. Started to work in pastel. This is here in Texas. This was a, uh, this was a very, pretty recent one. When Beatrice was first born, um, she would sit and sleep in the studio and I would just draw her over and over again. And this was my favorite of the drawings of her. It's about this big. And people would respond to this. You know, they would respond to it not, not so much intellectually. They would, well, maybe they do, but they would just be like, I like it. And, you know, I had someone, I had this um, woman come up to me who saw this and she's like, that's my child. I was like, no, it's mine. <laughs> and she's like, I have to have it. I'm gonna, can I buy it? And she's like, pulled out all this cash. And I was like, okay, we need it. <laughs> but this, so I just started listening to what, what are people responding to that I, that I make? And this, um, so through spiritual direction, going to church, 
the coaching through the entrepreneurship and just the hard time that I went through sort of uh, from 2015 to about um, the time I started the altarpiece, these are three things that hit me and have been in my mind. One, service. Father Lee, this is a direct quote from Father Lee. Do not use your art to express yourself, but find a way to serve others. Not that those two don't overlap, but to emphasize the service. And 1 Peter 4, 10 through 11 says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Whoever speaks as one speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ to bring to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Uh, the example of Fra Angelico, uh, he was a person that I, I couldn't say that he was just an artist. He was a fine artist. He did so many things. Uh, anyway, I won't go into that. The, the second thing was, uh, I'm actually going to, yeah, provision. Um, I felt this great conviction when I got out of school. I was working like six jobs and I was making, I was making like 18, I made $18,000 working six jobs. I was working, I was working 60 to 80 hours a week that year I got out of school. It was so horrible. We were living in a basement apartment. My wife is just so kind, you know, and I'm caretaking also for the complex so we can live there. Um, we lived in a beautiful street, but like my CV was growing. Like I was getting shows. I had this mentor from, from, from my MFA and he was taking me to like New York. He was taking me everywhere. I had this show in Russia through uh, the Hermitage. I had all this like stuff going on, but everything was growing except we were suffering like greatly financially. And I'm like, why is it that I'm getting all these accolades, but like nobody wants to give me a job to do this. I'm like perpetually adjuncting. It's, I don't know. And I felt convicted. Um, 1 Timothy 5.18. I could not read this verse. I would, my heart would ache. Anyone who does not provide for their relatives and especially for their own household has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. And this verse was in my ear like all the time. And I was like, <clears throat> anyway. So that is combined with the next one. And I, okay, first off, let me just say this. I'm not putting... You don't have to do what I do or feel that I'm saying you should do what I'm doing. This is my journey. I just, I just would never want anyone to think that. I'm just talking about me. But humility and dog portraits. Um, <laughs> so when I started just opening myself up to making money from this stuff, dog portraits are what, what I was doing. And I was super embarrassed. I felt just so stupid. Just incredibly stupid. But, um, I talked to that guy, Garen, who I studied with, and he's like, Sean, what are you doing these days, you know? I'm like, well, you won't believe it. I, uh, I'm a full-time artist. I'm making a little bit of money, you know? He's like, really, what you doing? I was like, dog portraits. And he's like, I was like, I know it's embarrassing. He goes, it's not embarrassing. He goes, it's honorable. And I was like, it's honorable? He's like, it's honorable to give your family, to provide for your family. And I was like, okay, well, that's, I guess, what, I'm, what I can do right now, so. Anyway, that, those three things um, restore me to my rightful mind from the, from the hymn, restore us to our rightful mind. It helped me to, I think, be sane in a lot of ways again. You know, like Nebuchadnezzar when he's, when he's like going crazy. I felt like Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, this was a drawing for a portrait uh, I did for the Fish family. This is Margot as she played her violin, or not her cello. Thank you, sorry. Uh, this is the full-blown version. Um, I feel very proud of this piece. Uh, my, most of my professors don't think it's that great, but um, I like it, and I think that um, I think that it, it really served them, and that is what what my goal was here. This was another recent one. Um, it's kind of what I'm doing right now. I'm I'm, I'm full time. I will be teaching starting tomorrow, but I've been full time since basically. April, I went back to work at this insurance company for a little bit, for about five weeks, but quit again because I've been able to kind of make, make a living doing this. This is, this is one of the designs um, going in a home and doing a series of 400 square feet of murals in a home and I'm using, I'm applying what I learned uh, to serve 
commission work, multiple streams of income. I'm, I'm not going to go into this too much, but basically, one of the things I've learned is to take to take my abilities that God has gifted me with and apply them to various various applications. One is the mural. One one ha, uh, some have been the portraits, um, and that's what. I think it led me to the altarpiece. Um, I don't think I would have had the cajones to to make an altarpiece a few years ago. It just it took all the all the courage I had to make an explicitly religious painting in the context of it's not that cool to make explicitly religious paintings right now. At least not where where I where I come from, good old Toledo, Ohio. Okay. So you'll see a few. Um, this was one of the original sketches. I started by doing a lot of research, looking at Fra Angelico, Chateau, um, all the famous resurrection pieces. These are a few, a few of them, a few of the sketches. There are many more. This is the beginning of the drawing on canvas. Had everyone in the painting is someone from the church, so Father Nicholas is one of the angels. <laughs> Father Jonathan is Jesus. And uh, <laughs> Father Jonathan, he was like, hey, he, we were talking. And I said, yeah, you know, we should hang out. And he's like, yeah, that'd be great. I was like, yeah, by the way, you want to be Jesus? And he's in the piece, like, I don't know how I feel about that. But he, he did it. And I think it, think it worked. But anyway, just to show you some of the process here. So you can see he kind of changed there. Um, this this is uh, Mike Weller, Mary Strucker, well, inspired. I didn't, I didn't make them copies. This is Hillary, my wife. This is um, Captain Autry, Jonathan, Father Nicholas. And then actually the, the soldier, I didn't want to put that on anyone. <laughs> and then this is, a, I, I just love this picture. <laughs> That's Easter Sunday, so. But yeah, I think that's that's the uh, that's the talk. So.